Hi, everyone, and welcome back to yet another cracking edition of the Map Round Show. This is the Secrets of Fail series, where we're talking to successful founders and CEOs all about their epic business blunders. You know, the stuff they don't want on social media. Yeah, that's the stuff you get here. And uh, with me in the hot seat today is none other than Armando Viteri, uh, a C- the CEO, rather, of a fantastic company called New Block. Uh, welcome to the show, Armando. Well, thank you very much. Perfect. So why don't you kick us off with the uh, elevator pitch? What are you guys up to there at uh, New Block? Sure. So New Block has existed for some 17 years. However, starting about this seven years ago, my my CTO, who's a well-known guy in, in AI, encouraged us to think about the fact that this, this version of AI that was coming out was something really different. And he was prescient. So... Uh, over the last few years, we've been focused on doing large-scale enterprise implementations of AI leading into kind of this common era. And obviously, the whole world woke up around ChatGPT. So all of a sudden, the whole world knows about this new generative AI that's going to change everything. Mm. When is it going to be democratized? I mean, obviously, there's generative AI. But in terms of like, you know, I think there's there's what everybody plays around with. You know what I'm saying? Like, write me a 500-word article about this or edit this thing or write me a Twitter list. Like, that's, you know, that's fine. But for entrepreneurs and CEOs out there who want to develop and implement their own large language models, for instance, to solve very specific use cases that that are important to them, at what point do you think that that's going to be democratized in the same way that, um, uh, that you know, ChatGPT is democratized in terms of access? Well, uh, it started off as, as a set of, so Google originally developed the transformer. And what a large language model is to oversimplify it is a highly trained version of a transformer, trained on lots of data. So there have there are a number of these these kind of uh, medium language models that came out of university laboratories. In other words, the university didn't have the resource in terms of computation to do these these huge models. And now there's a handful of large language models that have hit the market. Google's Bard, uh, obviously OpenAI's GPT-4, the base of ChatGPT, etc. However, you're going to see anthropic has come out with one, you're going to see a huge proliferation of them and a huge number of derivatives of them and a very large community of open source ones. So I think what eventually happens is that there is, uh, especially for businesses, there wind up being these derivative large language models that an enterprise takes in-house, winds up developing to be their own proprietary generative core, the brain of the operation that winds up being the connective glue for all the various departments and functions in the company. So it's a completely different, this evolves into a completely different model of what a business is. Mm. It is, it is a, a collection of data with a series of correlations and a number of workflows all built around this singular generative core with a whole bunch of related AI tools and assistance. Mm-hmm. All stuff that's way above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting to see right now is that uh, I, I'm old enough. I'm, I'm a bit older than you are. 
I'm old enough now oh, to either. see a multiple, <laughs> multiple kind of these generational waves. And it's always interesting to see who is going to be kind of the forward thinking people and ahead of the game. Right. The ones that the companies that actually survive yeah. a transition and the ones that are the laggards. And it never ceases to amaze me that even in the face of kind of obvious change, the laggards will still be entrenched in a, 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 a formal way of doing business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, let's get into the meat and the potatoes of uh, this particular series. Um, Amando, what is your story of fail for our audience around the world today? Well, for, for me, it's um, early on uh, in my career. So this, this is circa 2000. I had had some early career successes, again, pointing out the fact that I'm much older than you are, and also my best friend of the world had a similar series of, of early career successes. So between the piles of Ivy League and Harvard Business School and MIT degrees, we, we convinced ourselves in early career successes, oh my God, we just got to be the smartest people we know. What two better people to start a company than the two of us? Well, universe looked down on us at that very moment and understood the idea that these two need to be slapped around some. <laughs> so <laughs> we did make the unfortunate mistake of forming a company called Pinpoint. Uh, and Pinpoint was the, the, the world's first, the industry's first real-time locating system. So you could use these active tags to be able to track. Um, in, in, in 3D, you could track the movement of people or things, which on the surface... Seems like a good idea. And on the surface, you can think of a million applications. And on the surface was something that was really easy to raise money for, um, given that we'd had some, some early career success. We were fundable. The two of us were fundable guys. So we proceeded to raise tens of millions of dollars. And we lawn darted that thing. <laughs> I mean... Wasn't even wasn't even a smoother. It was a BK in the end. It was the worst possible uh, outcome for a company. Uh, so much so that it, it took took the two of us many years to recover from the the self doubt that we we wound up. On the other hand, based on what the starting point of the story about the hubris that I described early on, I think we deserved a little bit of that. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I had that same challenge when <laughs> after I sold my first business, I was very young. I was like twenty, my early twenties. Sold my first business, and I thought I could walk on water like most thirty-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 yeah, exactly the same time period for us. Yeah, oh, there you go, right? And so, um, yeah. and so, luckily, just like you, the universe was going to fix all of that for me. You know, teach <laughs> <It's> your lesson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Mondo, what did that whole experience teach you? I mean, you know, if we think about that time and you now look forward, um, uh, you know, what, what do you take forward with you today uh, in your business as a consequence? Well, I'll, 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 um, two things. Um, and by the way, if you would ask the same question of my partner, that person I formed the company with, he to this day will say he did not learn anything other than horrific pain out of that entire experience, which I disagree that that's the, the, the correct analysis. But uh, we learned two things. One is that there is no substitute for uh, market timing, market fit, right? And it's uh, it's very easy to 
convince yourself into the fact that you have a fantastic idea without really ever doing the primary market research that it takes to figure out whether or not you really have a compelling problem, uh, product that you're generating. Is the problem you're solving a, a need to solve or a like to solve? And do I really understand who the target economic buyer is? And is that person really willing to write a check? So the first, first one was kind of timing and fit. The second big lesson, probably more important one actually, was a question of focus. Because what happened in our case is that we were able to we were able to raise money relatively easily. Because of that, it allowed us to be able to not try and and do one application, one use case, but many, not just one geography, but many. So we were, you know, between 10 different applications and distribution in Asia and Japan and in all multiple regions in the US, launching in Europe, et cetera. The combination of all that is that we were well into the spend before we were really into the understanding who we were selling to and how compelling our solution really was. So if you could get into the Matt Brown Show time machine, Armando, what would you do differently uh, and why? Well, I think I, uh, it was the combination of those two problems. The first one is we should have spent the time, effort, diligence to do the business basics, the primary market research. So let's figure out whether or not, let's figure out who the target economic buyer is, what pro, how compelling is the problem that we're really solving for him. And even whether or not we really understand, have the methods to be able to, to get to that target economic buyer. So doing the business basics of the market research first, and I'll tell you, I, I, I've advised many, many dozens of startups o- o- over the years. 99% of them don't bother doing the, the basic homework to figure out whether or not they actually have a good idea or not, the basic primary market research. Uh, the second thing, that in retrospect, I would have done is that once I figured out, all right, this is the use case. Therefore, I understand who the target economic buyer is. I now understand how to get to them. I know that I have a compelling solution. Double down on that very focused target application, target geography, et cetera, and build a business that is provable and that you can can cookie cutter. Grow the business that way. Once you've achieved some some success, some momentum in that space, then go consider the second geography or the second use case, et cetera. It's mm. really uh, sage advice. Speaking of advice, uh, what is your advice in the context or and or importance of failing or failure in business success? Once again, if I <laughs> ask my partner even today, he, he would argue he learned nothing except pain out of that entire uh out of that entire situation however um for me i think i think it is a question of of uh approaching everything with a little bit more humility not assuming that you know everything right from the start because you're you're so very smart or you're so very you've had some early success lots of time early successes or late success for that matter are a question of market timing question of luck Mm. And there's an awful lot of other circumstances have nothing to do with you as an individual. So you as an individual has to do as much testing of your your 
your underlying thesis as you can, and therefore you have to approach it with a little bit more humility. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is the universe's job, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so um, when you think about... I'm glad to see the universe having out for more people than just me and my... Yeah, no, dude, I'm the guy. <laughs> I'm the other guy. Everybody else never had it. <laughs> it's the three of us. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Armando, when you think about books, tools, and resources and things like that, do you recommend any? Like, does something come to mind for you as key resources or go-to books that you recommend? Uh, I'm going to say I'm not a great believer in kind of these these uh, business guides, business books. Uh, probably about the only one that stuck with me over many years has been uh, Crossing the Chasm. Mm. Um, that one, although it's it's now very it's decades old, it's still sage advice, and it actually lines up pretty well with the idea of figuring out your initial markets and, and, and coming up with a whole product solution so that you, the solution provided to that target economic buyer is really compelling, et cetera. So a lot of these lessons that I'm relaying back are directly in Crossing the Chasm by, by Jeffrey Moore. Having said that, what's more important than reading those, those, uh, those million business advice books, go, go for whatever company you're forming. Go surround yourself with some really good advisors. And I'm not talking about lawyers or accountants or service providers or whatever. Go find advisors that have actually, number one, sat in the big chair. You know, they were the CEO, they're the founder of their company. Number two, that they've taken through the entire arc of that, that journey. So from startup through to an exit. And understands kind of all the various skills you need or experiences you need to have through the entire entire process. Mm. And I think, unfortunately, um, there are technology centers around the world where you can have where you can find good good quantities of good quality of, of advisors. But it's only today; it only exists in certain geographies. So certainly, you can't you can't throw a rock in Palo Alto without hitting. 10 people that would have that description probably could do the same in Austin or Boston and increasingly in New York, right? But as you get into other geographies, it's hard to find that kind of very experienced advisor who's actually been through startup through exit. Mm. Um, so unfortunately, what happens in many incubators, accelerators, the advisors are really people that are service suppliers. So they're they're an accountant or they're an attorney. They're going to represent themselves as being senior people, experienced people. But you know what? Accountant lawyer has never gone through the arc of startup through exit. They're the worst people to be asking advice of what it really takes to do one of these things. So focus in on the advisors, lay off the business advice books, Surround yourself with good quality people that actually have been through the experience themselves. Mm, exactly. Sage advice. Again, funny story. Uh, I was very busy uh, one afternoon and, um, and I was like, you know, back to back meetings, whatever. And I had the show coming up. And so uh, the show comes up and I haven't had a chance to even look at who the guest is. And I arrive at my uh, desk. It was a proper story of fail. Um, and I arrive at, uh, you know, the session and I log on and I'm like, fuck, I know this guy. And it's Jeffrey Murph. <laughs> Is that right? Oh, yeah, that's dude. Cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, cool. yeah, I've had him on a few times. Yeah, he's a good guy. 
Well, we had him as an advisor at an earlier startup, one that was more successful. We actually made it to an IPO. We had him as an advisor to the company this, this many decades ago. Yeah, no, it's good to know that, uh, you know, we have similar circles of friends, you know what I'm saying? There you go. <laughs> well, uh, listen, Armando, you're a cool cat, brother. I appreciate you for being on the show. Thank you for lending your perspective. And uh, yeah, man, wishing you guys all the best as a team and as a business, uh, you know, working in an AI. I think it's a super exciting time, right? Well, if anybody out there is needing uh, uh, either advisory or development services or strategic consulting or any of along those lines in AI, feel free to contact me. We'd love to have that conversation. Perfect. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Armando. Uh, see you again soon, I'm sure. And uh, everybody else will catch you in another episode. Ciao. Thank you.